Hello, Millennium Live listeners. Welcome back to another episode, the official podcast from the Millennium Alliance. With another great episode featuring a partner who's been with us a couple times on the podcast and glad to be welcoming them back. We have NetSpy. We did a couple of episodes in the past, which has included all about offensive security and some great advice for CISOs and, and talking about, the, of course, the ever-evolving threat landscape. A couple weeks ago, we just did an episode with Cody. Chamberlain, which is the, who's the head of product enablement. We talked a lot about why NetSpy is a top choice for cybersecurity leadership these days and highlighting some of those differentiators that really makes NetSpy stand out. And of course, one of the great topics that we discussed was talent and specifically the talent on their team that makes them such a great solution to consider. And I'm talking with another talent. We have Phil Morris. He is the managing director over at NetSpy. I want to welcome him to the podcast, which we'll be talking a lot about specifically the healthcare sector and some cybersecurity issues that are going on there. So Phil, welcome to the Millennium Live. It's it's great to have you here. Thanks, Connor. Really appreciate the chance to talk. So each year, it seems like the healthcare sector continues to be a top target for cybersecurity and cyber criminals. Why is that? Uh, I mean, I have a few guesses as to why. And Well, Connor, that's a great question. And I'm curious what your guesses would be. If I had to answer that question, it would be, despite what you may see on your radio or TV commercials, where you're talking about robots and advanced AI and stuff like that, I think it's an industry. The healthcare tech lags other markets, with just with respect to where they are in the security maturity curve, if you would. I mean, you think about fintech or telecom or life sciences, they've already adopted a lot of new tech stacks and they have, to a large part, wrestled with integrating security into it being part of the business. But it's been my experience just looking overall healthcare that it's usually a laggard in that area. And this applies to both the clinical side as well as the non-clinical or the administrative side of the business. I mean, let's be clear, you still have a lot of clinical data moving between parties using things like CD-ROMs and fax machines. There is a lot of passwords being shared. It's not uncommon for your security controls to be turned off because they're interpreted as maybe slowing down a system. I guess despite what you may hear about HIPAA protections, HIPAA is there to protect your data. There's a lot of low quality data governance going on with your clinical data as well. So doctors and to a lesser extent, nurses are very influential in deciding what type of tech they want to use. And they're famous for doing things like counting the number of clicks it takes to get to a patient record. And that becomes an important criteria for evaluating what type of software they want to use. But when you think about it, that criteria has really nothing to do with how well a system is protecting their identities or their sensitive data. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I've, I've noticed in some some chats is that healthcare is just, it lags behind in, in technology adoption. Well, Connor, also that you got to remember that the healthcare data itself is very complex. And the way that we've stored it and processed it electronically is based on old paper billing forms that were designed back in the 1960s and 70s. I mean, even today, most providers that you talk to would say they spend more time capturing data for the sake of getting the billing right than for the purposes of, let's say, diagnosis or, or treatment. And then you add to the fact that there's lots of uh, other stakeholders on the clinical side of the business, physicians, technicians, uh, nurses. And then there are lots of users that interact with that doctor or nurse that you see in your appointment. There are payers, the insurers, the compliance staff, uh, supply chain managers, what else? Uh, contract managers. All these people are assisting the doctor or nurse that you're working with as your clinical provider, and they need to share data. And each of them have their own tech stack and personal issues. So you've got a lot of complexity you're trying to wrestle to the ground as well. 
So in the previous episode I did with Cody, we talked a lot about artificial intelligence and sort of how it's just taken the world by storm this year and how it's changed the attack service. And of course, that's without a doubt affecting the healthcare space. So talk to me a little bit about how AI and the expanded threat landscape within the healthcare sector has changed. Are healthcare organizations, you know, slow to adopt this emerging technology given the risk? AI brings? Wow. Great, great question. So uh, for, you know, I feel like I need to talk a little bit about my bona fides here. I was doing ML work for many years and started using the large language models, particularly chat GPT in November of last year when it first came out. And I've, I've shifted to use some other models as well. What I'm seeing in healthcare is a need to, the desire rather, to use AI to do everything but diagnostic work. As I said, there's a lot of misalignment in the healthcare delivery space, at least from an information management point of view. And where generative AI can help, it can help streamline operations, for example. But it's always going to require a human element on top of it. The risk is just way too high. I mean, our security researchers have a saying that said, that said goes something like, don't forget, if you're looking at LLMs, let's just talk about LLMs, large language, large language models specifically. If you're looking at LLMs, everything they do is an hallucination. The question is, is the hallucination is the hallucination accurate or not? So relying on an AI model to um, predict even you know kidney disease, renal failure, uh, septic shock, those models have been around for a while, but they're always augmented by a human element as well. It's going to be interesting to see how the healthcare market starts to adopt generative AI into their operations model. And I think it'll be a while, despite what you may hear from some of the large, large software vendors, I think it'll be a while before they really start to feel comfortable adopting it for clinical, clinical diagnostic purposes. Right. So before we kind of dive in a little bit to um, on some another, another topic that uh, I discussed with uh, both Vinay and Cody, um, just to stick to the um, healthcare IT professionals and what, what they can do better to safeguard these threats and perhaps bringing in NetSpy as a, you know, some, as a leader in, in offensive security, which I want to ask you about. But what can healthcare IT professionals do better to start safeguarding against these cyber threats that we're seeing? <laughs> okay. Connor, I've been in healthcare and life sciences for over 25 years, and <laughs> I still don't have the definitive list about how to, you know, protect your hospital or your group practice or your ambulatory clinic. <laughs> but I can see one best practice that the industry has been struggling to adopt, and I, I simply don't think a tool is going to solve the problem. We tend to want to buy tools, and I've seen large organizations make mistakes where they bought a tool thinking that would solve the problem. I think instead, what you really need is a few good security partners working together with you and leveraging you know, their expertise. I said earlier, this is a complex space. There are a lot of wicked problems in healthcare. And I've seen a lot of organizations treat security as a simple problem. You know, buy this tool and you'll solve this one narrow issue. And usually that issue, frankly, is defined by the opinion of the highest important person in the room. But the vendor of that tool doesn't work with any of their other vendors that you may have. And they may have security issues that, you know, keep them in the way of, of understanding how another system works. So Having a good security partner helps a lot in that context because they can work with you to help you both, I have a phrase, 
avoid the potholes they can see coming down the road and help you build changes or prepare for the change you know that you're going to need coming up the road that you see as you integrate new systems or new tools or buy a new partner or something like that. There's a lot of attack paths in healthcare. So getting a collection of experts together and getting them all aligned is important. We say at NetSpy that security is a team sport and our job is to help our customers identify the risk across the portfolio. When it comes to things like electronic medical records or systems like that, healthcare organizations end up having to rely on their vendors and the promises those vendors have made with respect to security. If you have a BAA with your healthcare partners, you are responsible for how they do security as well. And a lot of times that's kind of a black box type thing. So even then, you know, you have a good vendor, they've built great security into their product line by design but they don't have control about maybe how that software is going to be deployed or, or used in the real world. So having a trusted partner to help you navigate through these waters, and they are, they are messy, can really help you identify where risk resides and start to address those risks in a proactive manner. Well, I'm from New York City, and we are one of the leaders in healthcare in the United States. We are, we're also known for our potholes. So I, I think we can put two and two together here and bring in a partner that understands this. And talking about offensive security, NetSpy seems to be a leader in offensive security. And I, you know, I talked a little bit about it with Vene and Cody about what that really means, offensive, this offensive, this proactive approach to, to securing networks. But um, I would love to hear to your take, Phil, about what is offensive security to you, perhaps other uh, some additional services and offerings that fall under this category. Thanks, Connor. Well, first of all, it's not about pen testing. I know that's what NetSpy's history has been based on, but I don't see offensive security as pen testing. And when I work with my customers and partners, that's not the way we're approaching the things that our, our customers are challenged with. I see it as, as proving that your customers and partners can trust doing business with you, You know that you're safeguarding their data and that you can prove to be a reliable partner in the way they do business. Sometimes it's about streamlining your compliance work so that your auditors or your, or your regular can verify your operations faster. Sometimes it's about educating um, your blue teams on how threat actors think and where you have gaps in your defenses and how you can how those can be exploited and how to fill them. So offensive security to me is about helping your customers trust doing business with you. And in healthcare, that can have real implications. Um, NPR recently reported, I remember on a research team that showed if you were in a hospital when a ransomware attack happened, then your chances of dying increase between 15 and 20%. Wow. When you add the current burnout, you know, that your, that your clinical staff are already dealing with, you have a lot of institutional experience just walking out the door because they can't take the stress anymore. You, so we would have conversations with our customers about, let's talk about how you can keep your high profile staff happy. Let's talk about how they're being challenged with regards to security so we can make sure that you're addressing the gaps you've got and avoiding those potholes. Connor, for what it's worth, as much as I love New York, having lived there for years and years, and nothing against the Philly Department of Public Works, but we've got some awesome potholes down in Philly, too. <laughs> well, then that's good to know. I mean, as healthcare leaders are continuing to adapt these strategies, and you mentioned a really good point about offensive security being able to trust doing business with you. Why should they make offensive security an integral part of their plans and sort of walk us through NetSpy's unique approach to this? You got to realize if you're not doing it, you're already paying a high price for that. 
Maybe it's through an increase in your cybersecurity insurance premium. Maybe it's a hidden cost in the extra, all the extra work you have to do for your uh, compliance audits. I mentioned that earlier. Maybe it's affecting the burnout for your operational staff. I just spoke about that. Maybe it's costing you relationships with businesses that you don't even know about because you haven't met a certain certification bar or something like that. All these can be true. And I've, I've seen them in many organizations, but they get ignored until there's a breach. And then there's a focus on spreadsheets and not on managing risks. I think at the end of the day, offensive security to me is about building trust, like I said, and making sure you're protecting those customers' interests. So I want to talk about how we see it. First, we see across the markets that we serve, it's about trust, and it's about showing your customers that you're someone they can trust their money and their data with. Sometimes that's through improving a quality control program. Sometimes it's about reducing risk that you built up through a lot of technical or organizational debt. Sometimes it's about helping your cyber defense teams identify threats without wasting their time with all the false positives. I've done a lot of work around building testing programs to help address new compliance regulatory concerns. And the new um, executive order around AI that just came out last week is going to continue to be an issue for organizations that are starting to look at using large language models and similar types of ML concepts in their business lines. It affects all aspects of your business. And what we do is, sure, we'll do pen testing. Absolutely. Web, thick client, internal, external network. That's, that's bread and butter stuff. What we do is work with our partners to help them identify where they need to change and how they can grow their security posture to address risk across the whole product portfolio. We have a lot of customers very interested in how we can poison an AI model that would make somebody's face appear like an admin, for example, so they always get in if you're looking at a facial recognition program. Or some of our banking customers are very concerned about how somebody can take an image recognition program and make a $400 check look like a $400,000 check to be deposited into an account. Those are real-world scenarios where we walk through what the implications of that type of a vulnerability or risk could be and help them address strategies and scenarios around how to, how to fix that. Sometimes it's much simpler. It's helping them deal with a particular compliance need that they've got. If you're in the UK, you have to be uh, working through the check program to make sure that only certain types of testers are validating your results. That's a regulatory concern. We can easily do that. But a lot of the, the thoughtful conversations I have with CISOs and, and board members is talking about how they can anticipate where change needs to happen and build a good security change program around what those needs are going to be. And I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of offensive security, helping identify where those needs are is going to be so beneficial in the long run. I do want to mention, and hopefully you could enlighten us and our listeners about what some of the healthcare customers that you're, you've been working with, perhaps an example or two, you can walk us through, Phil, of a high-level use case or case study within the healthcare industry that um, NetSpy has helped in the past. Sure, Connor. Yeah, you bet. Our customers include a pretty large portfolio. We've got, we're, we're fortunate enough to be trusted to do business with many of the major electronic medical record vendors out there, the major insurance providers or payers that, that are in the industry. A lot of the ancillary services like the diagnostic agencies are, are in our customer portfolio. And we've got life sciences and pharmaceutical companies in it as well. And of course, you know, all the infrastructure vendors in which all this stuff resides every day. So we're really honored that many of our healthcare customers trust us to help them with their security programs. Use cases, there's so many to think about. And recent history, you just Google anything, will highlight, or being it rather, will highlight a lot of ways that, you know, healthcare providers can be compromised. 
human element still remains a major focus. Social engineering is really easy to do in the healthcare ecosystem. Denial of service, we've had lots of denial of service attacks and in, in, in situations where teams were working to address those. And this is something I want to speak to that I see a lot as well. Um, and if you're ever inside a hospital or your doctor's office, a physician's practice, a large practice, walk around and see. Notice how many um, connected devices are around that you could just plug a USB device into or compromise very, very easily. You know, when, when my nurse practitioner does my, does my vitals and gets my family history and then walks out of the room and I have 10 minutes before the doctor walks in, that PC is just sitting there. And those attack paths are pretty well established. And a lot of people just don't seem to think of a compromise or a breach from that perspective. They think it's going to come in through the firewall or something like that. They focus, rightly so, on patch programs and privacy and security awareness training and, and you know, how they can transfer risk back and forth. But it, it's a lot easier to compromise an account or leverage a default setting or discover a private repository that shouldn't be public than you would possibly think. And then once you're in, you lie low and you attempt to escalate or, or pivot. You lay some bombs to distract, for example, you know, the, the, the blue teams from what's going on. And then you, you know, grow some new accounts that can be used for malicious attacks in other ways. What I'm seeing is fewer attackers are slipping away quietly after the extraction. And the reason is just much easier to extract the data slowly or encrypt it and just detonate a bomb. Because of the complexity of the industry, there's a lot of ways that risk can be spread across the ecosystem, if I keep using that word. And uh, now with the AIML stuff, it's a, it's a whole new aspect of it. I think a lot of uh, companies are, are going to discover can be just as, I don't want to say the word dangerous, but just as risky. Bill, I know you're a busy guy, so I'll let you get back to work. But um, mm -hmm. uh, just to focus on something that I like to end the podcast with is a focus on the future. As we, you know, we're entering 2024. You've been in the industry for a long time. Uh, what, what are some of your healthcare security predictions for the new year? And perhaps we'll even expand that into the next five to 10 years. Um, you know, the, the, the trends that we're seeing with AI and, and ML. Well, you know, what 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 uh, trends or topics should security leaders have on their radar that they need to make sure that they're addressing in the future? Oh, man, Connor, you're killing me with the old crystal ball question. OK, <laughs> all right, I'll play that game. Let me see what I would say here. Software supply chain is going to continue to be a concern of the healthcare business. Uh, Log4j was the bellwether and then the move it software happened. I I think these are just great examples of how something that would be considered, you know, a utility in your software development lifecycle could cause some significant damage to your operations and, and destroy your security budget, especially in healthcare. Most of this software is based on thousands of third-party and open-source libraries, and it's nearly impossible to track and verify and patch and then redeploy. I'm sorry, redeploy all that complex software very quickly. So, so software supply chain, especially in healthcare, will continue to be a concern. What else? Around AI, as we come to understand the difference between the hype around LLMs and Gen AI, and then settle down and really explore how this technology is going to improve our operations, uh, we're going to learn a lot of things. With that, you're going to have the prevailing tech for us to learn about, I think, for the next several years. This is as big as anything you know, short of the internet that I can think of. And I think very few organizations are considering all the different attack paths and operational concerns that, you know, we've been researching and integrating into our, our test methodologies. Um, let me see if I can leave you with one more. 
Okay, here's one. This one's kind of a hopeful one, Connor. I hope that we in the security industry will start to recognize that security isn't just about technology. I mean, tools and platforms are important and they would help us help our customers and run and plan our lives and learn how we can do things better. But I think the skills in cybersecurity, the, the really important skills are the soft skills that we don't really talk about as much. I mean, negotiation, empathy, those are really two big things that are important in security. No one person can do or know or fix everything. It's just too complex a problem space. And knowing how to work with other people and negotiate and advocate for certain things, maybe it's more money for your budget or more teams or a different priority that you've identified you think should be a change in the focus. That's really where I think a lot of skill building can happen. I mean, we've got a great team at NetSpy. It's not a collection of teams, it's one team. And that's one of the biggest reasons I think we've been so successful. And I, I know our senior management hone in on this nearly every day. I trust it's going to continue to be how we help our customers. But I think those soft skills and learning to work as a team are really the thing we should be talking about that we're probably not talking about very much. I talked a lot about it with with Cody on the on the podcast about the team over at NetSpy, and I'm I'm really not surprised why four fifths of healthcare providers choose NetSpy. And I, and I want to thank you, uh, Phil, for your time today. It's uh, it's great to know uh, there are solutions that are working with healthcare providers that are targeting these cyber criminals and making sure that we are on the right side of history. One thing that I think perhaps you might have left out of your crystal ball, Phil, is that um, another hopeful uh, uh, take is that the Jets win a Super Bowl in that time. But uh, one can only be so hopeful. And it's, speaking of offense, we'll need certainly need yeah. some more of that. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, but now that I'm in Philly, I have to say go birds or, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I can't go back to the city again. Um, <laughs> Connor, thank you so much for the chance to talk with you. I appreciate the, the opportunity to chat and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. And let me know if I can ever help with anything again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil. And uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of Millennium live and another episode with NetSpy. Been a great partner. So thanks for listening.